I think that this is not a unique message to our community, but it's one that we really try to drive home. You can have a fabulous life, but you define it. You define what it is that you want. Don't let someone else define how you should be living your life, because if they're defining how you live your life, they're going to be defining how you earn your paycheck, how you think. You can get so caught up in what others' expectations, as we mentioned earlier, And when you decide that you want to live your life, that's when the fun starts. That's when you really start to understand how to have a really enjoyable life. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane, founder of High Fiving Dollars. And I'm Garrett Philbin, founder of Be Awesome Not Broke. As money coaches, we want to give you a space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, the stress, exhilaration, and fear. No topic is taboo. In this episode, we sit down with the debt-free guys, John Schneider and David Outen. They're personal finance authors, bloggers, podcasters, and speakers, and are the only gay couple openly talking about money in the queer community. We talk about the financial expectations and challenges facing the LGBT community, how they made the decision to dig themselves out of $51,000 worth of credit card debt, and how being their authentic selves helped them thrive in their financial lives. Get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. David and John, thank you guys so much for being on Beyond the Dollar today. We're excited to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, we're definitely happy to be here. You guys occupy a really unique space in the personal finance world because you're the only gay couple talking about money in the queer community. I want to just dive into what makes your guys' story so unique and how are you the only people talking about that in this space? But I think it is, uh, it's very interesting that we are actually talking about it in this space. Uh, John and I came from a world where the impression is that, especially because we are two white gay men, that our lives are fabulous and everything is amazing and we have all the money in the world. We travel and have all the nice homes and cars and clothing. We we're, nice clothing. Right, we're, the, we're the Mitch and Cam uh, of the world. I think that's the, the, the perception that a lot of people have, of, especially of gay men, uh, is that we're fabulous. Um, and uh, as John and I like to say, we were living fabulous, but we were also living fabulously broke. And uh, so we understood from when we made some changes in our lives that uh, there were a lot of people in our community that could use a voice that sounded familiar, sharing a story that was something that they were also comfortable with, uh, that they hear themselves or see themselves in the content that we create in our podcast. How did you get to that point where you made that realization of we can't live this lifestyle or we don't want to live this lifestyle anymore if it was so pervasive with everyone around you and that was just kind of the norm? (laughs) That's the drama story. (laughs) So um, David and I got together and about a year and a half after we started dating, we were living in a, we were renting a friend's basement apartment. And one weekend we went up to Winter Park, which is a mountain town here, not far from Denver, uh, to visit a college friend of mine and, and his girlfriend at the time. And we spent the weekend up there several times before, uh, but this particular visit, we were inspired to check out some property uh, to buy. We thought, well, we'll see what things cost. Maybe we can build a house on there and 
um, you know, vacation, have a grand, grand life and continue that, 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 that fabulous living existence. But unfortunately, and or fortunately, uh, we realized uh, through the drive home that we really couldn't afford to buy land up there. Um, so we thought, well, maybe we could, you know, buy a house that, that was already built. And we thought, no, we can't do that. We can't really afford that. And then by the time we, we got to Denver, we got out of our car and walked down the flight of stairs into our basement apartment. Arguably not a garden level walk-in, though that's how it was built. <laughs> um, we realized that we probably shouldn't be going up there for vacations um, on the weekends because we really couldn't afford it. Why we were looking to build a house, a vacation home, um, or buy a vacation home, it was beyond us because we didn't even own a home to vacation from. Um, and so it was that night, it was a Sunday night, uh, we were sitting on the basement floor of our uh, dining room floor of our basement apartment, and we sort of had this come to Jesus moment that um, we had $51,000 worth of credit card debt between the two of us. And the irony was, is uh, we were both in financial services, and at that time, I think we had about 50 years of experience between the two of us right. in various uh, roles throughout our careers and but we were essentially helping other people manage their money um, but we weren't managing our own um, and the irony wasn't lost on us so we thought well geez life isn't going the way that we want it to go our, our friends are passing us by um, our friends especially our straight friends were getting married having children and buying houses and here we were literally digging ourselves deeper and deeper into debt. Um, we, we thought, well, we're, we make good money. We know, we understand the fundamentals of, fundamentals of money. So we need to figure out how to get back on track. And that sort of started a, uh, a conversation between the two of us about how we could get out of debt. And what was the debt from? Or what did you spend the $51,000 on? <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, Dave, and I are different, <laughs> Dave and I are different people. <laughs> um but by and large, we were just living the fabulous lifestyle. We were traveling well. Uh, we were dressing very well. Um, I, for whatever reason, couldn't go out um, on a Friday or Saturday night having worn anything I'd ever worn before. So I would have a new two to $500 outfit um, to go out in. Uh, we had lots of happy hours and lots of fancy dinners. And um, there was a spell of time when we were spending about $400 a week on groceries as well as spending about the, the equivalent dining out and um, drinking. And uh, by and large, it was just living beyond our means. David, for the most part, was a nickel and dimer. For whatever reason, he didn't think that going to Einstein bagels every day for a bagel and a coffee uh, wasn't affecting his uh, debt. Um, and of course, I always got scolded when I came home with a bag full of diesel clothing that cost $500. But um, I, at least my stuff I could reuse, even though I didn't. <laughs> there were some pretty nice hand-me-downs in our closet. <laughs> um, but uh, the irony was, is you know, when I moved out to Denver, I, I'm from Philadelphia, when I moved out to Denver, I had $5,000 cash in, uh, in my account as a gift for my grandparents after I graduated, graduated college. Um, and when I moved out to my apartment, I felt like I had to have all those things that made me an adult. So I had to have a new couch and I had to have a new bed and new furniture and new bedspread and all that fabulous stuff. Um, but of course, everything had to be from Pottery Barn, right? So um, I quickly uh, was in $20,000 worth of credit card debt with within about a year and a half um, of moving out here. And then when David and I met, even though we didn't discuss it, we kind of had similar um, spending habits and uh, we just kind of snowballed into that moment when we were wondering why we're living in a basement apartment as two 30-year-old men. <laughs> right. One of the other things that was interesting is at right around that time, uh, I had been laid off from work. 
Um, but I was fortunate to have worked for a company for nine years, a uh, financial services company, and they were very, very good to us when, uh, when we were let go. Um, I could have moved to another state for work, but I chose not to because John and I had just gotten into our relationship and, um, I got nine months of severance. So I got a check that was for roughly about $15,000 and um, after taxes and everything was taken out. And I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to enjoy life for a month or two and then I'm going to get back to work. And I ended up taking a five month long vacation and I blew all of that money, which I literally at the time I had enough money there to take care of probably about 80 to 90 percent of my credit card debt. And instead, I sat by the pool and had margaritas with one of my best friends all summer. <laughs> <laughs> While I work, but I'll have you know. Did you feel like you, you felt like you had to live that lifestyle being in the LGBTQ community that you spent all that money? Or was it just you're like, oh, I'm an adult. I, I make money. Therefore, I can spend it. Like, What was, I guess, a justification? Well, I think a good summary is that we were just living and spending unconsciously. It probably wasn't until about – um, a couple of years after we paid off our debt and we kind of got into the blogging space that we really reflected on how we got ourselves into that position. And I think it came down to essentially two things. David and I both came from a time and a place when it wasn't okay to be gay. Um, so we had our own experiences of being bullied and picked on um, and feeling marginalized. And we just didn't have this, we didn't uh, progress at the same rate in our, um, our sexual lives as our straight peers did. Um, and we were constantly hiding aspects of ourselves so we could survive high school, grade school, college, um, and, then, and then eventually the workforce. So it wasn't until we moved out on our own and we were uh, independent, so to speak, that we finally found other LGBT people and we found our community and we kind of reveled in that. Uh, we celebrated finding feeling like we were home for the first time. But the uh, problem was is that we sort of reveled a little bit too hard. Um, and then on the flip side of that, the, the second part of that equation is that when we got into that community, it is a very, um, I don't want to say, for lack of a better word, a materialistic community. Um, and there are reasons for that, I think justifiable reasons for that. But we sort of felt like we had to keep up and maintain that lifestyle. And then if we didn't, our new friends would, quote unquote, maybe ostracize us just like we were ostracized before. So it was really a lot of the fundamentals, I think, was just being unconscious and having a lot of insecurity. I think the LGBT community, especially gay men, um, because of the bullying and bullying and being picked on, uh, because of the AIDS crisis, especially, um, there's sort of this carpe diem effect that better live today because tomorrow we may die. Well, in the 80s, that was very is very good chance that we wouldn't have made it till we were 40, um, and so there was this sort of pervasive belief that well, you have to live well, enjoy well, eat well, travel well because you only have a couple of years on this earth. Um, and so I think that stream of consciousness hasn't necessarily left our community. Um, and there's sort of, uh, there's always these, this aspiration that you're going to be a part of the elite gaze or, or keep, keep up with everybody else, um, to, 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 to stay valid, validated. I think that's probably, probably covers by and large our experience. And we do know that from the communications that we get from our, our blog and podcast that, that's still somewhat pervasive. Um, you know, there's uh, one person made the comment actually two, two weeks ago. It's just so expensive to be gay. Um, and it's not. It's no more expensive to be gay than it is to be straight. It's just that there are just different expectations that we put on ourselves that aren't necessarily in our best interest. It's interesting. There's a client of mine who is straight and felt this same way when she was out with her friends. 
And she's saying, look, they just have this expectation that we're going to go out and we're going to eat and we're going to drink and we're going to travel. And for her, what she felt really challenging is she didn't feel confident enough to say, this is what I want. I'm comfortable in who I am and so that I can ask for it. And so I see that as kind of a parallel, except for straight individuals and couples, they've had a longer period of time where they are allowed to be themselves. And so they probably have a leg up of feeling comfortable in asking for what they want for being who they are and sharing that and exploring that. So that's, I think when you're talking about straight people have had a chance to be themselves longer. And so there are reasons why in the LGBTQ community, some of these things are more pervasive. That's at least how I saw a bit of a parallel between the two. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think straight people are necessarily inoculated but with the challenge from the challenges, because I do know that, you know, there are some, you know, middle American suburban communities where all of a sudden it's a competition. Everybody just, you know, the neighbor just put a repainted their house. So we've got to repaint our house. The neighbor up the street just got a new car. We didn't need a new car. And actually from my sister's own experience, people have moved out of her neighborhood because the competition was getting so fierce. And it's like, but, but they all sort of created this competition together. Uh, so I think, you know, I think other demographics have their own unique challenges. That's interesting. I was just popped in my head is the expat community and and travelers, like long-term travelers, there's a sense of competition, like, oh, how many countries have you been to? You know, like I've been to 12. And and I remember actually getting caught up in that as well. And so I, I guess the bottom line is, you know, everybody has a community where there's opportunity to compete. It sounds really bad, but it, you know, opportunity to compete, but it's the expectations depending on what community you're in that is different. <laughs> and the word expectation came up when you guys were sharing your story, expectation in the LGBTQ community, expectations that you guys should do it right because you had 15 years in the financial services <laughs> together. And how did those expectations kind of weigh on you potentially, or how did they affect you as you were trying to make this change of, oh shit, we're $51,000 in credit card debt. <laughs> You know, how did that affect your psyche with all of these ideas of like who you should be and ought to be and the guilt that was playing around that? Yeah. So after we hit our rock bottom, David and I had several months of discussion about, you know, what is it we really want in life? Um, it, it took us a while to figure that out. And ironically, it wasn't at all how we were living. So our, our life, our, our, we weren't spending according to our values. Yeah. I, I, th I think we were fortunate to have each other when we came to that realization. Um, I think we were also maybe both starting to get to the same point when we came to that realization. We're both kind of a little bit exasperated with what was going on with our financial lives. Um, so it, it hit us both at the same time. So I think we were fortunate to have that. Um, but I th one of the other things that happened uh, was John and I made a conscious choice to say, we're not going to buy into the lifestyle anymore or the expectation of the lifestyle anymore. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Uh, the, I, I will, will say that, uh, the first, maybe the first couple of months to no longer be going out for happy hour, to no longer be, uh, going to brunch with everyone, uh, to not going to the mall on Saturdays so that John could get a new outfit. Just the, the life, our lifestyle changed. Um, but we were, like I said, we were fortunate to have each other to be um, kind of our sponsors for each other to get out of debt. <laughs> yeah. And I think that after having that discussion of what it is we truly wanted in life, we narrowed it down to three things. 
having those as sort of the aspiration helped us decide, okay, well, do we want to spend, um, how do we want to spend today so that we can achieve what our long-term goals are tomorrow? Um, and having that kind of gave us some sort of focus. We were also pretty transparent with a lot of our friends and family. Um, I think that it was maybe during that time period that uh, we got together with John's side of the family uh, and said, we're not celebrating, we're not exchanging gifts for Christmas except for the kids. And we don't have kids, so we didn't have any <laughs> gifts to buy. We have nieces who became our adopted kids, basically. But we quit Christmas, Christmas and we haven't resumed it, and the nieces don't happy now because now they're adults and they don't qualify for gifts anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we were also uh, fairly explicit with some of our friends. Uh, we just basically said, hey, we're trying to pay off our debt. Uh, we have a lot of debt, and we're trying to pay it off, and we have some financial goals. And we were fortunate that there were a number of our friends who were completely comfortable with that. And the ones who weren't uh, didn't vocalize it, but they just kind of, they in some ways exited our lives out of their own choice. Uh, and that was because they didn't invite us to the things that normally we would have dropped 100 to $200 on. And they, so they knew that not to invite us to those kinds of things. And we were completely okay with that. If they, if they can afford it, let them do it. If they can't afford it, they'll it'll eventually catch up and they'll realize. Uh, and so we, I think we grew a little bit closer with some of our friends who might have been in a similar financial position or were also supportive of what we were doing. What I like in that is you're coming at it from a space of power because you're saying, look, here is where I am and here's where we are. Here is what we need and here's what we want. And it allows people to opt in, to enroll in that, or to not invite you and to not ask. And, and by getting out in front of it, it's no longer people coming to you where you say, oh, no, I can't do it this time. Like, I just can't afford it. it. It empowers you and it takes that power back. So you actually, yeah, you have that control, which is nice. And it, allow, it gives people some boundaries of which they can work within as well. Right. Yeah. And we also, John and I are, are big believers that if you're not enjoying what you're doing, you won't do it for very long. So we knew that we needed to still have and enjoy it. We were social creatures, uh, John especially. Um, <laughs> we, we needed to be around our friends or do, do things that we were enjoying. So we like to say that we kind of became, or as John especially became the Julie Cruz director of the cheap and free things to do in Denver. We would invite friends to go with us for the free days at the museum, go hang out in the park with a, you know, a cheap seven, eight dollar bottle of wine instead of dropping six or seventy dollars on brunch or you know, going out to, to dinner and doing the same. So it kind of became our mode of living that we were constantly looking for ways to still have fun and do it at what we call a, a, an NSE or not so expensive way of doing it. Um, Julie, for those who don't know, was the cruise director on the smash 1980s hit, uh, Love Boat. <laughs> I appreciate that clarification. <laughs> I, I love that. I'm just like, I was like silently fist pumping here, like the entire time you guys were saying it. I'm like, yes. Cause I, you know, I remember when I was on your podcast episode a while back and I was, you know, we were talking about being your authentic selves right. and it, it, what I'm getting from that is that digging deep into your values and figuring out what it is that makes you thrive, like personally, professionally, everything helped you in your financial life. And that's just so great to hear. I think we're all on sort of this, so many of us are on sort of this this hamster wheel 
where, especially now that like we're told, when you graduate high school, you need to go to college, regardless of what it's going to cost or what your expectations are in your career. And then you need to get into a career, and then you need to get married, you need to buy a house, you need to have a kid, you have a car, you have to have all, all this stuff. And nobody ever actually says, sit down and figure out what is it that you want in life. You, know, it, you might not want kids. You might not want to have a house. I mean, and that's what the, the, the best thing about, I think, the millennial generation today is that they're asking these questions and they're making decisions based on what it is they truly want because they've seen older generations, Gen X and, and older, living according to everybody else's expectations and not necessarily being happy or still ending up in financial ruin as with the 2008 housing crisis. So I think that it's a, a very important step for, for everyone in the, High school should be doing this, but asking the question, what is it that you really want in life? And then reverse engineering that. And obviously it's going to change a half dozen times, but don't just put everybody in the same funnel and think that they're going to achieve happiness. Yeah, that's a great point. So before I move on to the next question, tell us what you guys are doing now. I mean, you're obviously debt-free and what has that debt-free lifestyle afforded you guys? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, our lives have gotten uh, exponentially better, I would say. we have traveled much more extensively than we ever have before, and it's all done in cash. Uh, we've been able to build our own business to the point where we can both work for ourselves and together full time. Um, David, ju- yeah. <laughs> sorry, just acknowledging <laughs> that because that's awesome. Yeah, I, I literally last week it was a week ago today that I oh, yeah. left my my W two job behind. Yeah. So, um, and then uh, we're able to get back to our community much more than we, uh, uh, much more authentically than we've ever been able to do before. Um, so, and those are sort of fulfilling all of our our three goals of of what we really want in life. So, we're able to live the lives that we want. And um, in building debt free guys in the Queer Money Podcast, we're able to connect with people that we never would have connected with before and uh, serve our community in a way that we never even dreamed of. At one point, it was always just we would like to donate our time and money, but now we're actually able to to, to provide. You know, a service beyond that. Yeah. And the financial security that we have now because of it uh, is, I, I think, one of the biggest benefits um, coming out of financial services and, and understanding the value of having some level of financial security, uh, I think, was something that was ingrained into to John and me. Um, but when we started down this process, we basically had a negative net worth uh, between the two of us. And Today we have um, enough assets that we're not we're not concerned about our immediate financial uh, security, and what that has afforded us is it is the option to take risks, the risks that give us the bigger rewards, the rewards of enjoying a uh, not only enjoying our lives and actually having fun, but risks that will could it, in turn reap rewards financially so that I, we both work for ourselves. We both have that opportunity. And uh, I think of all of the, all of the things, the stuff I could have. And then I look at the freedom that I now have. Uh, the fact that you know, John and I used to drive to work in the morning uh, and we would separate ways at like six o'clock. And then we would come back together at six o'clock and we'd say, why are we doing this? We get to spend two to three hours a day together, maybe uh, a little bit more on the weekends. Why are we doing this? Why are we, what's the whole purpose behind this? We want to spend more time together. And now he won't let me out of his sight. <laughs> <laughs> we, 
you got out of bed at one thirty this morning, you never returned. So yeah. I'm a little upset. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things you guys have said is that we believe financially strong queer individuals and allies are necessary to continue our fight for LGBT equality and for LGBT people to live more fulfilled lives. So you're touching on this, but I just want to hear why that is so important to you and how that manifests. You know, it's interesting. John and I were recording a podcast of our own earlier today, and we were interviewing uh, one of the... um, one of the leading philanthropists in the LGBT space, uh, Tim Gill, um, has given roughly $400 million, $450 million of his own money to uh, help uh, fight for rights in the LGBT community. And people may say, well, you, you have marriage equality. things, Everything must be equal. Everything is fine right now, right? Well, you can get married in 31 states in this country, and the very next day, your boss could fire you because of that. Um, there are individuals who go to work every single day who are not being their authentic selves because they're scared to tell their counterparts at work, their colleagues or their boss, who they really are. And the more we stifle who we are, the more that that ends up expressing itself in other behaviors in our lives. And one of those, John and I have, from firsthand experience, have have dealt with that. And that is financially. Oftentimes, we're either using um, money as a means to an escape to have fun, or we're using it to be a therapy for us. We do therapy shopping or whatever the case may be. And we don't want our community, anyone in our community to not have to live the authentic life that they choose. We don't want anyone, whether our community or not, we don't want anyone. But we focus on the LGBT community because we do see such a large number of individuals who are still living with kind of some uh, those suppressed feelings of being themselves. And it's not necessarily being able to have a pride parade between the cubicles of your office um, to let everybody know that you're gay. But if you're constantly stressed or concerned about someone finding out that you aren't straight, then you're investing a lot of time and energy into hiding that. And you can't be your best self. You can't give your your fullest potential at work. Um, it just has a lot of negative consequences. Um, and for us, it was, it was financial. And I think for a lot of in our, in our community, it's financial. But we do know that we have um, a disproportionate percentage of our population who are hooked on drugs and alcohol and who suffer from depression and um, who commit suicide. So um, it's not always uh, just financial. It can be even you know worse consequences. And so that's why we focus on, on the LGBT community and, and why we think it, it's imperative for us to get our financial house in order um, because – if your financial house isn't in order, then that's another thing that's stressing you out and you don't have the money and time to donate to the causes that are important to help you achieve equality. Um, and one of our uh, newer messages, uh, it's not brand new, but one of our newer messages is we were, we were advocating for more LGBT people to seek positions of leadership in business. Uh, we want to see more people at the C, in the C-suites, uh, in the E-suites, because um, there's a lot of discussion going on in our community. Um, in society in general about diversity and inclusion, but a lot of that is being led by people who haven't had the same life experiences that LGBT people have. And um, right now we have a seat at that table of the discussion, but we want to have more of us in the leadership position in that discussion. That's so wonderful. And we really appreciate that you guys are number one on this podcast sharing that. And number two, I'm sure the LGBT community really thanks you you know, to share your experiences and, and help empower them. So one last question for you guys. 
If there's one thing that you want people to take away from your experience or your journey, what would it be? You know, it's interesting. So we just interviewed Tim Gill this morning. We've interviewed uh, a man by the name of Jay Allen a couple of times on our podcast. Uh, Jay was our mentor at Charles Schwab, and we both worked there. He was the executive vice president of human resources. And a common theme that we're we're noticing um, through from successful LGBT people is that at some point in their lives, either very early on uh, or they got to a dire situation later on in their lives that made them rethink how they viewed themselves. But they eventually got to a point where they just didn't give a fuck about their sexual orientation or gender identity. And if anybody had a problem with it, that was more their issue than their own. And Tim shared a story that he, um, when he was building Quark and some of his business partners learned that he was gay, they dropped him as a client. Um, but then, you know, and of course he, he was in a difficult situation at that particular point, but it wasn't long after that, that Apple sort of bought up all of those companies and Apple was certainly happy to work with him. So even though coming out and being open and transparent from the get go might feel daunting or you might have adverse consequences immediately, I think that the, the potential down the road is exponentially better. And I think that this is not a unique message to our community, but it's one that we really try to drive home is you can have a fabulous life, but you define it. You define what it is that you want. Don't let someone else define your life, uh, how you should be living your life, because if they're defining how you live your life, they're going to be defi- def- defining how you uh, earn your paycheck, uh, how you think. There's just so you can get so caught up in uh, what others expectations, as we mentioned earlier. Um, And when you decide that you want to live your life, that's when the fun starts. That's when you really start to understand how to have a really enjoyable life. David, John, I just want to thank you guys both so much for taking the time to be on. It was an enlightening conversation, a really fun one to have as well. And we both just really appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for um, giving us a platform. We appreciate it. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Dollar. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. And if you can think of one awesome human who would connect with what we talked about today, we'd love you forever if you shared this episode with them. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar.